Uh, for these next number of minutes, I want us to take our Bibles and turn with me to uh, the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, we started this uh, series last Sunday on God, uh, grace, and generosity. And this morning we want to pick it up here at uh, verse uh, 7. And uh, we're going to continue through the end of the chapter. But uh, let's uh, take a moment to stand together and we'll read a few of these verses in preparation for our time of study this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 beginning at verse 7. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see to it that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first, not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Father in heaven, we love you and we pray that your Holy Spirit will work in our hearts. Teach us truth from your word that will enable us to continue a growth uh, in our walk with you and in our relationship to being good stewards of all that you've given to us. In the matchless name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. One of the spiritual disciplines that oftentimes we don't think a whole lot about is the discipline of giving. Uh, We know about spiritual disciplines, Bible study and prayer, fasting, Worship, but we often do not understand that giving is also a spiritual discipline that God wants us to develop. He wants us to make wise investments of our time, our talent, and our treasure because our investments declare our priorities. They declare that certain things are very important to us. For example, if you haven't made any kind of an investment in any kind of property, uh, you probably are not really concerned about all the fluctuating uh, prices in the housing market because you haven't made an investment. You're not interested. Same thing may be true as it relates to any kind of a savings program. If you haven't invested in some kind of a savings program, you're not going to have a lot of interest in watching how the interest rates go up and down because you have not made an investment. Where there is no no investment, there is no interest. Same thing is true in the stock market. There has to be an investment. The same thing is true as it relates to our lives as God's people. God saves us by his grace. He transforms us from the inside out, and he gives to us the abilities then to 
use our giftedness for his honor and for his glory. We're saved by grace, we are kept by grace, we serve by grace, and one of these disciplines that God wants us to develop in our walk with Jesus is this matter of uh, whole life stewardship where we invest our time and our talent and our treasure for the glory of God. Actually, when you think about stewardship, stewardship is really lordship. It means that God has complete control of every aspect of our lives. In fact, Jesus talks about this over in Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse uh, 19 uh, through verse 21. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where the thieves do not break in and steal. And then this is the verse you need to underline in chartreuse. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. You see, this whole matter of stewardship has to do with our heart. It doesn't have to do with the amount of our gift. It has to do with our heart attitude. And last Sunday, uh, we looked at the first five verses of uh, chapter 8, in which uh, Paul shares the exciting story with the Corinthians about how the Macedonians had responded to his request Uh, that they send a special gift to the mother church that had been struggling. And he tells us that they did this because of the grace of God that was at work within them. Notice chapter 8 and verse 1. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So he shared with us how God was at work within the Macedonians, prompting them Uh, to give generously and to give liberally, even though they were going through hard times themselves. And he shared with us last week as we worked our way through that the Macedonians gave in three specific ways. They gave substantially, according to verse 2 of chapter 8. They gave spontaneously, according to verses 3 and 4. And most importantly of all, they gave spiritually. They first gave themselves to the Lord. You see, It's when we give ourselves fully and completely to Jesus that it makes all other giving easy. When Christ is enthroned as Lord and Master of our life, everything comes into perspective. Now, as we move into the second uh, section of uh, this particular chapter, he answers the question, why should we give in the first place? He gives us an explanation of why should why should we be concerned about giving? Why should we be concerned about helping others, uh, especially who have been our spiritual fathers, they have invested in us, now they're going through some hard times, why should we give uh, uh, in the first place? And so he gives us some specific reasons. In fact, uh, these reasons that he gives the Corinthians as to why they are to give, I believe, uh, answer the question for many of us here, why should we give? Why is giving important? We do, God doesn't need our money. Remember, God does not need our money, but we need to give. It's part of our spiritual discipline that God wants us to develop. Now, first of all, he says that grace giving, the first reason we are to give, is that grace giving evidences our love. Look at verse 8. He said, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love 
by comparing it with the earnestness of others. He's, he's saying, I want, I want to know, do you really love Jesus the way you say you love Jesus? And then he repeats almost the very same statement in verse 24 of chapter uh, uh, 8 when he says, Therefore, show these men the proof of your love. Okay? So he is reminding the Corinthians that they give as an expression of their love for what Christ has done for them. Now, you notice here in verse 7 that he commends the Corinthians on the fact that they are growing spiritually. Notice he says in verse 7, but just as you excel in everything, he's talking about how they're excelling in faith, in speech, and knowledge. These are spiritual gifts. They are using their gifts, and he's excited that uh, the people there in Corinth are using their gifts. He also talks about the fact that they uh, are serving and involved with complete earnestness. It means that they had a passion. They, they not only were serving, but they had a passion in giving. And notice, they also were, were doing so with a sense of love. And love, you remember, encompasses everything that God has done for us. Uh, love is one of the fruit of the Spirit. It binds all the other fruit of the Spirit together. Joy and peace and patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So, the Corinthians are on the grow. There's a lot of good things that are happening, and Paul's excited about how they are progressing in their life with Jesus. But notice what he says. Uh, there's an aspect of their life that they need to brush up a bit on. And he says, he says, see, you're excelling in these other areas. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. You see, Giving is a spiritual gift, okay? Uh, in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 to 8, the Bible says, if it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. So uh, uh, this matter of giving is a, is a spiritual gift, but it's also the result of God's work within our hearts. You see, all of us can give, but there are those in the body that have been especially gifted to give. And uh, they use their resources in ways that, that many of us can't because they've received this special gift. I think of R.G. Letourneau, uh, who uh, gave to the Lord 90% of his income and lived on 10% of it. Uh, he just simply uh, was used of God uh, to bring tremendous blessing uh, to others because he had this particular gift. And so Paul is appealing to the Corinthians here in verse 5. He says, see that you excel in this grace of giving. That word excel means to overflow, to take on some additional spiritual muscle. If you're, you're, you haven't developed this uh, 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 capacity to give, uh, of your time and your talent and treasure, that may be an area that you need to ask the Holy Spirit to stir up within you. Now, you'll notice in verse 8 that Paul is quick to say that he's not commanding them to give. Remember, we give not because we're under the law, but we're under love. He doesn't want the Corinthians to feel maneuvered or uh, man, uh, manipulated. Rather, he's simply saying, I know in your heart you want to give, I know that was 
that was there when we first talked to, to you about a year ago, and you said you were going to do this, but, but I'm just wanting to stir this up in your mind that you need to complete, you need to follow through on the commitment that you have made. And so he's appealing to them on the basis of the fact that they have been captured by Christ's love and his love as something that uh, captivated them and has changed them, and he's trying to help them understand that giving, whether it's our time, our talent, or our treasure, is all because of what Christ has done for us. Uh, We don't deserve any of his favor. God so loved the world that he gave. He's the great giver, and so now we, in turn, are to give back to him. So the first reason we give is because it evidences our love for the Lord Jesus. Number two, it emulates our Lord Jesus. Notice in verse 9 he says, For you know the grace, here it is again, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. You see, when we are giving of our resources, our time and talent and treasure, we are emulating the way in which the Lord gave to us. He gave to us without any conditions. He gave up everything for us. He left the glories of heaven for us. He became a human being. He put on human flesh for us. For one reason, and that was to go to the cross and lay down his life for us, and then to be resurrected to give us eternal life. He's willingly laid aside everything for us. Notice, the Bible says that he became poor. This particular word for poor is the only time it is used in the New Testament, and it refers that Christ became a pauper. He's born in a stable. He lived a poor life. He laid down his life in poverty. But in so doing, he provides a way of escape. He becomes poor so that we might become spiritually rich. My friend, this morning, if you know Jesus Christ, you may not have a lot in your financial post portfolio, but you are the richest person alive because you belong to Jesus. You understand this? In fact, you have an inheritance, the Bible says, that is even now being prepared for you in heaven. We as the people of God are the richest people alive because we have experienced the power, the transformative power of Jesus Christ in our lives. Remember as a little kid, we used to sing a little song called, After All He's Done For Me. After all he's done for me, how can I do anything less than what? Give him my best and live for him completely after all he's done for me. It's because of what Christ has done for us. You see, when we put our offering in that little black box or we put it in an offering plate, we are saying, thank you, Jesus. I recognize you became poor so that I might become rich. I am just expressing my gratitude to you. I want to be like you. And our offerings are giving, whether it's service or time or our resources, it is an offering of worship to the King who has given his all for us. Christ's death on the cross provides the incentive for us 
to live for him completely with all of our hearts. And then number three, grace-giving enables us to keep our trust with God. You see this in verses 10 and 11. Notice, and here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now, finish the work. They had a desire. He says, now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched with the completion of it according to your means. Now, you see, what he's saying here is that he's lovingly reminding the people that everything that God has given to them is to be stewarded is to be stewarded wisely. And we are to leverage that which God has given us in a way that will build His church and strengthen the entire body of Christ. Now, from what Paul says here in verse 10, uh, these Corinthians, when they had first heard about this back in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, man, they were all excited. We're all in. We're, we're going to do this. They promised faithful support to that Jerusalem church that had fallen on hard times. But now, 12 months have elapsed, and they're still, they still haven't followed through on the promise that they had made. Their integrity somehow is lacking. They promised to do something, but they had not followed through. And so in verse 11, notice, Paul tactfully alerts them to their enthusiastic uh, response more than a year ago. He says, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by the completion of it. In other words, he's saying, I want you to complete that which you have determined that you're going to do. In fact, in verse uh, 2 of chapter 9, notice uh, how he had bragged on the way in which the Corinthians had said they were going to do this. Notice in chapter 9 and verse 2, For I know your eagerness to help, and I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm was stirred most of them to action. He had shared with the Macedonians how excited the Corinthians were about giving. They had picked up on that excitement. They were following through, but now... A year's elapsed, and the Corinthians themselves, who once were excited, they had stimulated the Macedonians to give, but now they still hadn't completed the commitment that they had made. And so Paul is seeking to arouse their integrity or to follow through on that which they committed. He says, finish the work, complete what you have started. You know, it's so important that when we make a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, whether it's to give him our time, our talent, or our treasure, that we follow through on it. Oftentimes, we can make empty promises to God. We say we're going to do certain things. We, we just don't follow through. And so this is what's been happening. He wants the church to keep its trust. And what an incentive uh, this is for the Corinthians to give, and what a motivation this is. When we keep our trust with God and follow through on his promises that we have made, God promises to bless us in uh, some unusual ways. Now, let me give you an example of this. 
Stephen Olford wrote a very interesting book uh, some time ago called The Grace of Giving. And in that little book, he relates a story about a gentleman in his congregation who, after he had heard a message on the importance of developing this spiritual discipline of, of giving and doing so because we love Jesus and because of all that God has done for us, the next Sunday, he took an offering envelope and he wrote on that offering envelope one word, and the word was restitution. And when the treasurer opened up this envelope that said restitution, he found eight $100 bills. In other words, this person was catching up on what he had promised to give to the Lord. I had an experience when I was first starting out in ministry with uh, an individual that, uh, he, he was a hard guy. He, <laughs> his name was Floyd Dilly. And he, he was a foreman at a, a Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And uh, his wife started coming to the church, and then I started to reach out to Floyd. And by the grace of God, he came to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior and was transformed. It was just an amazing transformation that happened in his life. And we had just completed a building project there at the church. And we were in the process of raising money for an outdoor sign uh, that we wanted to put up. And it cost us, this is back in the 70s, this cost us about $25,000. So that was a lot of money. And uh, one day I was studying in my office and Floyd Dilly, he would drop by. And this particular day he dropped by and he said, he said Pastor, I, said, I need to talk to you about something. He said, uh, he said, I've been hearing you talk about how when we give to the Lord, it's, it's, it's evidencing our love, and, and we do it because of what Christ has done for us. And, and he says, I've never heard this before. And, and, and you talk to us right out of the Bible. It's amazing. And, and he said, you know, Pastor, he said, you know, I've made lots and lots of money over the years. And I've never given the Lord a dime. And he said, do you, you think it'd be okay with you if I just write out a check here for $25,000 to cover the sign? And he writes out this check. That man had the gift of giving. After we left the church and went to another church, he continued to give generously. In fact, when he retired, he got involved with Habitat for Humanity and has invested all over the world. It's amazing. You see, this matter of keeping our trust, there are those in the body of Christ who don't understand the joy of serving and giving and using our time and our talents for the kingdom of God. When you do, do you realize how that blesses others? Do you realize what a rippling effect it has in the body of Christ? So he says, I want you to give so that others can be blessed. And then lastly, notice, he says, grace giving eases the financial lack of others. Notice down in verse 14, at the present time, your present, uh, your supply, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality, as it is written, he that gathered much did not have too much, 
and he that gathered the little did not have too little. You see, the beauty of this is, is that when we give, whether it's to East Bay for the ongoing ministries of the church, whether it's to the shoebox ministry or any of these other uh, financial opportunities that we have, we are bringing blessing and growth and encouragement to those ministries. And we do it not because we have to. Notice it's not because we're under obligation. We do it because we love Jesus. We want to see his work prosper. We want to emulate the Lord. But in that process, it eases the financial lack of others. Now, it's easy to look at others and say, you know, if, if, if I had as much money as that person has, I'd get more. Well, that's not necessarily the case. What I have discovered as a pastor over 55 years of being in ministry, some of the greatest, most generous people I've ever run into are people who don't have a large portfolio. But they just love Jesus. They love Jesus. Notice, we're not to give what we don't have, we're to give what we do have. God doesn't expect us to give so that we become poor, so that we can't meet our own financial needs, but he does want us to give according to what he has given us. And so, you know, what's very interesting is that oftentimes we say, well, you know, if I just had more, I'd give more. I think back to 1955. There was a, uh, a young man by the name of Wayne Causey he was an 18-year-old schoolboy that signed a bonus contract with the Baltimore Orioles baseball team. And back in those days, he received the bonus. This is going to sound like a really a small bonus. He received a bonus of like twelve of thirty thousand dollars. That was his bonus to sign on with the team. And uh, after he received his bonus, he was an attender at this College Place Baptist Church, and he wrote his first tithe to the church. It was about $1,200, and it made the headlines in that little town. Here's a ball player, and he gave $1,200 to the church. What that article didn't say was that the previous summer, he had cut the lawn at that church for $5 a week and had tithed 50 cents. You see, it's interesting when we start tithing when we have small amounts, it's easier to keep on giving and giving and giving because our love for the Lord Jesus continues to expand. And some of the most generous people I know are some of the most joyous people I know. In fact, generous churches please Jesus like crazy because all of us have a part. He's not arguing here in this passage for an equal distribution of property. That would be socialism. He is encouraging when we have are made aware of a need we have the capacity to meet that need, let's give. Who knows? We may be in need, and those to whom we've given 
reciprocate and give back to us. That's the principle that he's helping us to understand here. So important. Why do we give? It evidences our love. It emulates our Lord. It enables us to keep our trust with God, and it eases the financial lack of others. In the country of Palestine, there are two seas. They are fed by the same river, the River Jordan. If you walked alongside one of those seas, you would see children playing along the banks, trees growing, flowers blooming. It's just a beautiful garden scene around the Sea of Galilee. The other sea, people avoid. They don't travel anywhere near the other sea. There's no sign of vegetation. There's nothing at all but absolute barrenness. Now what's the difference between the two seas? There is no difference in the source of supply. The Jordan supplies both the Sea of Galilee and the other sea. The difference is that for every drop that goes into the Sea of Galilee, another drop goes out. And all around the Sea of Galilee, there's life, blossoming fruit, great abundance. But the other sea, it hoards everything it takes in. It takes in a drop and it keeps that drop. It hoards everything. It keeps everything it takes in, and the other sea is known as the Dead Sea. Nothing. Nothing grows there. It's just dead because there's no life-giving faculties within it. And so the principle, in my mind, is very clear. To give is to live. The more we invest of our time, our talent, and our treasure, God wants us to be like the Sea of Galilee. He wants our lives to be blossoming and full of life and vigor. He wants our lives to reflect Jesus in such a way other people will see him in us and respond to his love and to his goodness. The other thing I want to say to you is simply this. We can never outgive God. We can never outgive Him. He gave His all for us. How can we do anything less than give Him our best for His glory and honor? Let's pray. Father in heaven, You have given us so much. We are so unworthy of all that you have given. And we praise you and thank you for your graciousness and your goodness, the way in which you take care of us. I pray that you would continue to help us to be generous because of your great grace at work within us. And for what you will do, we will praise you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.